Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. All right, are you aware of the story you live? Well, and I think another question is, and do you value your own story? Because so many of us, we we just kind of go, yeah, 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 and we go, but that story, that person's story is amazing, Mm. and I don't think we see our own story for the significance that it brings. So anyway, I, I'm excited to talk more about this. But before we get too far into our stories, we just want to remind everyone that you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you, you know what? You're so right, Lisa. And I, I know you don't hear that very often. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but so many times we do, we look at other people's stories rather than looking at our own and, and really capturing the story that, that God has given us and realize how much, he, you know, he has intersected into the story and, um, for us to, you, you and I always talk about having that elevator speech and being able to share your story and let others know about what God has done in your life and um, be able to use that in just sharing Christ with others. And our guest right now um, definitely has a story to tell. In 2010, she was called to forgive the man who murdered her father. And what happened as a result of that journey is now the subject of her new book, which uh, has just recently come out. It's called Letters from My Father's Murderer. And her story has also been featured in Billy Graham's new film, Heaven, a part of the the My Hope with Billy Graham national broadcast. But Lori writes on her blog and is a regular writer for iBelieve.com and Crosswalk.com. She is also a contributor to the NIV Bible for Women, Fresh Insights for Thriving in Today's World uh, through Zondervan. And she has been published in Fulfill Magazine and has appeared on the radio program Living Joyfully Free. With a background in teaching, Lori is a passionate speaker on the issues of forgiveness, redemption, and the blessings associated with following Jesus. She and her husband, Travis, make their home in Nevada, along with their two daughters, Ella and Avery. And together, they are in the process of adopting from Ethiopia. So that has to be a very, very exciting time. So welcome to the show, Lori. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very well. Well, I just want to start out saying thank you, thank you for being on the show. But first of all, will you just, we're talking about our story. And so many times, you know, like Lisa asked the question, are you valuing uh, your story? Will you tell us a little bit about what happened from 2010? Just kind of share your story with us. Absolutely. And um, first, one thing that I would like to kind of piggyback on what you just said is every one of our stories is significant. You don't have to have some crazy story for it to, uh, for it to really matter. 
to, for the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Um, it's in Revelation that it, that it talks about that Satan is defeated by the power of our testimony and by the blood of Jesus. And that's just so incredible. So our stories matter. So um, anyway, yes, back in 2010, um, it had been, I was a baby Christian. I had come to Christ about a year before that. And um and I was being called to to forgive the man who killed my dad. Really, what I was dealing with at, at that moment was irritability. I was irritable all the time, and I didn't understand why I was so irritable. I'd be snapping at my kids or snapping at my husband, and I literally, in my head, would think to myself, what are you doing? Shut your mouth, you know? And all I wanted to do was be nice, but I couldn't be nice anymore. I honestly felt like I was just at the mercy of my emotions. And so I cried out to God, and all the way up to this point, within that first year of being a baby Christian, I had already witnessed God do incredible things in my life. You see, he brought me to my knees through anxiety and depression. And uh, for the first time, I was presented with something that I couldn't handle on my own. I couldn't get myself out of it. I was not able to fix this problem. And so that's ultimately what brought my knees. And I saw him heal me in ways that I never thought possible as far as the anxiety and depression go. So... Now I'm dealing with this, this irritability. I'm crying out to God, and I'm like, why? What is this? And he started to show me that, that it was actually anger that I was dealing with, but that that anger really had been buried. I had unintentionally, you know, I did try to deal with everything after my dad's murder. Back in 2000 is when the murder took place, so this is about 10 years later. So I tried to deal with it, but... Um, I had never been in a place where I could bring it to God, and so I, I had unintentionally buried all that stuff, and it was all rising back up, and now I'm, now I'm having to really deal with it for the first time, and I cry out to him. I say, you've got to change me. This is ugly. I don't like who I am. You know, I was, I, that anger had turned to bitterness. And I had always seen bitter people, and, and honestly, um, as a non-Christian, bitter people were the people that stood out to me the most as being the most ugly and I didn't want to be like them. I swore to myself and I even said to others, I will never become like one of those kind of people. And then I had, I'd become like the very people that I did not like. And so I cried out to him and I said, God, what do I do? And that's when I felt God's gentle whisper telling me it's time to forgive. And then he upped the ante and called me to love my enemy as well. Mm, mm. Well, it, it's interesting. You you had so many great points. Um, when you're you you do you look at people around you that, like you said, that were bitter and angry, and you go, I do not want to become that. I do not right. want to be like them. And yet, we don't do that self assessment. We don't do that self right. to go. Okay, then what am I doing right now to prevent from becoming that person? Yes. And you have to really start listening to, yeah, what is that? It's changing that chatter in your head to go, okay, what, what are my thoughts from the time I wake up in the morning? Am I, you know, am I thinking about this person that, that, you know, murdered my dad? Am I thinking about, you know, what, what so-and-so said to me, like you said, all of a sudden you realize your thoughts are all about what everybody else is doing wrong right. rather than, you know, right. within to go, why am I feeling this way about every, every person? So I have to ask you, what did, I mean, we definitely want to talk about the, the hope and the healing and the redemption and the forgiveness, right. but what happened in 2000 that this man murdered your father? 
Well, my dad did know him. There was a personal dispute between the two of them, um, and I don't really get too far into all of the the, the whys on um, a program like this, but I do talk about it in my book. Um, but there was a personal dispute between them, and, and I actually was down in San Diego, which is about a 10-hour drive away from where I live. And um, it was August 5th, and I remember just coming out of the wedding. We were down there in a wedding, a family wedding. I failed to mention that. So I remember coming down, coming out of the wedding. It was about 6 o'clock at night. And I looked at my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and, and a cousin that was with us. And I said, you know what? I want to go home. And they kind of looked at me a little a little sideways, like, you want to go home now? That means we're going to be driving through the night, you know? And I said, yeah, I just really want to go home. I had this intense desire to go home. All that I wanted to do was be at home. That's all that I knew that I needed to be. But I didn't understand why. And um, so we hopped in the car. We packed everything up, hopped in the car, started driving. And I ended up calling my dad. And so I left a message on his machine, and he did not pick up. It was not funny. We had, we had answering machines back then, you know. <laughs> so I left a message on his answering machine, and I just wanted someone to know that we were driving through the night just in case, you know, something were to happen. And uh, and I told them that we were going to be driving through the night and, and we're coming home, and, and then I hung up the phone. Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I was told later that the police were actually at his home, and they all they were conducting an investigation. And at the moment that I had that feeling, that was his estimated time of death. Mm. So we drove all night. And about 3 or 4 in the morning, we received reception again. Much of that drive is, is out of cell, cell service. So uh, we received reception, and we all had uh, messages on our phones. So we, we kind of answer those, and, and it's my aunt. And my cousin goes ahead, go, went ahead and, and called her back, called my aunt back, who, who was his mother, and she asked us to come over. And that last 30 minutes of that drive was pretty tense because we knew something had happened. We didn't know what, but we knew something had happened. And we pulled up to their house. I remember seeing them standing in the light of their porch, and, um, and there was just sorrow so deep in their eyes, sorrow so deep. It's just not even really explainable. And I remember thinking in my head, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. I knew that if she looked at me that it, my life was going to drastically change. Mm-hmm. And uh, her son was with me, and I, of course, didn't want her to look at him either, but, but I did not want her to look at me, but all she was doing was staring straight into my eyes, and I knew that her sorrow would soon become my own. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and how do you... You're not prepared for a moment like that. No, uh, never. <laughs> you know, and right. and it's like I don't even know what the proper response. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this moment, but I know something is right. about to alter my life forever. You right. know, and um, right. that is a hard place. <laughs> I, I, nobody wants to find themselves there. No, and yet you know, um, and 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 you're trying to deal and sort through all of that at the same time. Um, and this is kind of fresh for me right now because this week we had um, a very, very close family friend that um, oh, was God. killed in a motorcycle accident and oh, my goodness. just had to go to the family late at night. And, and so you, you do, you're looking like you're saying, I look, I didn't want them to look into my eyes. And there's something right. about looking in our eyes that it's, it's like, okay, you're communicating and I don't want you to right now because that means right. I 
I have a responsibility or something's going to happen here. Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. And there's something in the eyes that just tells you, and you know. I mean, you, I knew that it was my dad, and I knew that he had died before they even said, it, said a word. But yes. I didn't know how. I, I didn't know the details, of course. But, yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, it just hits you like a ton it of does. bricks. Well, we're going to have to take a break here, and um, we're going to continue because, you know, your story, as we're going to get into, like, the hope and just how God has healed through all of that messiness and really has created something beautiful in your life. It's not the story you wanted and you wish for, but, you know, how do we respond to those moments in our stories? We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Weight Watchers says that many things can distract you from working out. Recognizing these danger zones and avoiding them is crucial to losing weight. Be it your favorite TV show, a family phone call that can go on for an infinite amount of time, or a neighbor or friend popping in for an impromptu chat, there are definitely obstacles that can throw off your exercise attempts. One way to put all these interruptions at bay is to exercise first thing in the morning before you start your day. If you make exercise your first priority and your earliest act of the day, you can bypass many of these danger zones. But if working out early is not an option for you, finding a time each day that does work and sticking to it is also a good plan. Shun the danger zones and see your exercise and weight loss succeed. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been talking about how much your story, um, how significant it is and how it does matter. And our, our guest, Lori Combs, was just sharing that how in 2010, she was called to forgive the man who murdered her father. And what happened as a result of that journey uh, is now the subject of her new book, Letters from My Father's Murderer. And her story has also been featured in Billy Graham's new film, Heaven, which is a part of the My Hope with Billy Graham. 
Graham National Broadcast. And uh, Lori, I just have to say a couple of things. First of all, the fact that I absolutely love Billy Graham and um, my parents were kind of connived into going to a dance, which ended up being a Billy Graham revival. <laughs> they, I love it. <laughs> they became believers uh, through Billy Graham. And um, so I just, whenever I, I hear his name, it just, it warms up my heart. But right, uh, right. you... You, um, I just have to ask, are there are people who believe that there will, they will never be able to forgive, um, those who have hurt them. And I, I know of one personally who, as much as you talk about forgiveness, you can tell that they just get more irritable, right, um, right. that you're even talking about. Cause they feel that, you know, forgiving means you're forgetting this horrific thing that happened to them. And they really just aren't there in that place of of being able to forgive. So what would you say to them? Well, to be quite honest, um, I did want to forgive from the very beginning. I wanted to forgive because I was always under the impression that it was going to be, you know, quote unquote, good for me. You know, it was Mm -hmm. that I, that I couldn't allow my past to really dictate my future. And so as a non-believer, um, I just kind of barreled myself forward and I tried to forgive and I tried to do this whole thing all on my own. Um, but I was not able to truly forgive. I thought I had forgiven. You see, when God told me it's time to forgive, I was a little confused because I thought that I had actually done that. And I think that there are so many people that I come across that believe that they've forgiven when in all actuality, they most likely have not. And so, uh, so the first place that I would, that I would really direct that person is to bring that to God and ask God, have I really forgiven this, this individual? And, and I think that one way that you really can tell whether or not you've forgiven is does that person, when that person's name comes up, what happens inside of your heart or inside of your head? Um, are you, do you feel uneasy? Are you angry? Are you indifferent? Are you, you know, just what does that look like? And also when the event, when what, what happened, what they did to you, when that comes up, does it hold weight over you? You see, when we truly forgive, the, the past, our past, um, the offenses that were committed against us, we do not ever forget them. That is a farce but that we forgive and forget. We will never forget what happened, but it will no longer hold the same weight over us. And mm. so my, my encouragement is that we cannot forgive on our own. I tried to do that for close to a decade, and I was just not better for it at all. So forgiveness is something that, that, is truly done only through the empowerment of God. So it's only when we come to him and uh, ask him to really show us what we need to do to forgive and take that journey alongside him that we really, truly do forgive. Well, and that's such a good tip for our listeners out there, because I I think so many times when we think of the term forgiveness, we think it's a one-time gig. Right. Okay, I'm going to purge this right now, God, remove it, and let's go on. And then all of a sudden, the next day or a week from now or six months from now, um, you're still, things are eating you up and you don't, you just can't figure out, you know, is it post-traumatic stress? You know, what's going on? from this event or, and you realize for some, it might be daily. It might be hourly. It just might be a continuous, you know, cease, you know, you're just praying continuously. Um, right. 
that, okay, God, you have to sustain me because I cannot get over this. And, yes. and I think when we talk about forgiveness at this deeper level, sometimes people go, yeah, you know, I really don't think I have nothing horrible has happened to me. And it might just be that person you see at the store or that person you see at church and you don't even realize that they have a hold on you. It's it's something they did months ago or years ago. But when you see them, I, I like how you said that. It's like, what kind of hold do they have on you? You don't even realize wow, I need to just give this up to the Lord because I have really gross feelings when I I see that person. Absolutely. And, you know, I love how you you reiterated the fact that it's it's not a one-time thing. You know, we don't just forgive and then we're good. You know, it's I do believe that forgiveness is a decision. That is Mm -hmm. a decision of our will, but it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we choose to say, okay, yes, I choose to forgive. But we're going to have to make that choice daily and we're going to have to bring it to God in prayer it really the journey of forgiveness begins and it's sustained with our prayer life we pray and we say God I need you to to do this in me he's the one who does the work we just simply need to be a willing vessel so we bring it to him we say help us and he is faithful to do so well and you know like you said forgiveness it we don't realize the effects that it has when we are unforgiving and we're carrying that, it's a burden. And it, it starts controlling us and it can actually start defining us. And right. if we stay in that moment or in that situation or in that place and time and we almost get stuck there. And, and it's like we, we need that freedom that Jesus says, okay, you don't have to carry this anymore. And right. you right. need to forgive. And, you know, it goes back to as we forgive others, you know, he's forgiven us. And we need to practice that because that is the nature of God, and that is the heart of God. And um, and I don't think we realize it is. It's such a gradual thing. It's like the frog in the kettle. You don't realize right. how much kind of caring and absorbing, and you, then you finally realize, I think I ha- I have resentment, or I'm harboring right. this hatred, or I didn't I didn't even know it was a part of me. Like you said, I saw it in other people, and I'm like, I don't want to be that person. Then all of a sudden, you look in the mirror someday, and you go, Who? am I and who have I become? Well, and I even look in the mirror this morning, Lise, when you told me, um, you know, about your, your good friend in a motorcycle accident, I, I just, you know, being real right now and authentic with my emotions, I I have a tendency to go, why God, why would you take out this amazing light in our world? And, you know, I, I even, you have to do a double check on that, that, so many times we, we put the blame on him and we have no idea just the uh, amazing things that will come out of, uh, you know, this horrific situation. Right. But even just doing that self-assessment on why we blame God immediately. Well, well that put us speechless. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're all thinking about that because we do do that, you know, because we have to, I think, I think we have to blame somebody. Mm. And it, that's kind of a default. Mm. Take, there's, it's got to be somebody to blame for this situation. Mm. And I think that's uh, almost becomes a coping me- mechanism. Mm. And then we have to get past that. But then I think a lot of us stay in that place of blame because we don't want to own our part or we don't want to see a bigger picture. And, and then there's just so many emotions wrapped up in all of this, you know, the right. stories. And, you know, even like the grieving, you're, you're grieving the loss of your dad as well as the anger of 
how you lost him. Yeah. You know? yes. I think that's part of it is separating those. There's so many emotions you have to separate. I think it's, you know, that are very messy. They've all kind of gelled in this pot. And what is it that I need to go? This is the grieving part for, you know, a daughter grieving the loss of her daddy. And right, this is right. a part of a daughter dealing with emotions toward the man that, that took him from me. Right. And, you know, it, it, absolutely. It's all just a mess. <laughs> like you said, it's just yeah, that, it's a that muddled pot of mess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, your, your father's killer wrote to you, right? Lori, will you share a little bit about that? Your testimony, you know, right. may have saved a life in, in one of his letters that he, he mentioned. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, um, you know, what's interesting is I, I did have correspondence and I actually still do, though it's not to the same extent with the man who killed my dad. His name is Anthony. And, uh, but what's interesting is that it was never my idea. You see, when I cried out to God right after he told me to, to love my enemy, you see, I wanted to forgive, but loving my enemy made absolutely no sense to me. It made no sense. So I cry out to God. I say, okay, God, I get this whole forgiveness thing, but love my enemy. How am I to do that and immediately and it was not audible but immediately when I threw up that prayer I heard in my head bring him a bible so the next day you know I was kind of wrestling with that all through that night or just trying to figure out why would you call me to do that and really a lot of gospel truths were brought back to my mind at that at that time. Really, what God was asking me to do was to give the very things that I had been given, to give forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. So the next morning, I set out to try to establish this visit that I believed that God wanted me to have. I went ahead and I called the prison and I asked if they could um, a- approve my visitation. And they told me that in order to do that, both the warden and Anthony, the man who killed my dad, would have to approve the visit. Now, I wasn't sure Anthony would do that. I did not know him and he did not know me. But I figured, um, you know, just given the, the nature of the relationship, he might say no. So I went ahead and I wrote the first letter. And all that I was telling him was that I'd like to come visit. I have something I'd like to give him. I have some questions. I'm not coming in a spirit of vengeance, and I asked him to approve my visit. Well, I do not even understand why it came as quite a shock to me, but I was completely shocked that he wrote back. My husband came home one night, and he had the letter in his hand, and I could tell by the look in his eyes that this was no ordinary letter, and he hands it to me. He says, you've got a letter, and I saw this huge stamp on the back that said Northern Nevada Correctional Center, and I just about lost it. So, you know, I was, it's one thing to follow God's word and do the word of God in concept. It's a whole other thing when you're in the middle of it and you're actually doing it in reality. So now I'm faced with this reality and I have this thing in my hand and it's repulsive. I ran upstairs and I sat down and I didn't even want to touch it. I mean, this was something that he touched. This was his thoughts were going to be on this page and I just threw it in the bed in front of me and I couldn't even touch it. And I prayed and I said, God, will you please give me the courage to open this up? And so he did, and I opened it, and it really didn't say too much. It just said that um, he would approve my visitation and that he's forever sorry for what he did. Well, I'm analyzing this thing. Yes, yes. We're going to have to interrupt you. I am so sorry. Okay, we want to tell our listeners, you can read more of the story in Letters from My Father's Murder, and we're going to have information on our website. Thank you. We have to go. We'll be right back.
This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's Virgin Did you ever wonder when people first started swearing? According to the book, A Brief History of Swearing, author and medieval literature expert Melissa Moore traced humans' use of dirty words back to the ancient Romans. How about here in the U.S.? The five states most likely to vituperate are Maryland, New Jersey, Louisiana, Illinois, and Ohio. Vituperate is another word for attacking someone with harsh language. Swearing occurs most often in the afternoon and evening or over the phone when a call lasts for more than 10 minutes. The next time someone cuts you off in traffic, try calling them a rackle frats instead of one of your usual go-to words. The word rackle frats is so funny that the event prompting the expletive becomes diffused. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. We ended our, our last show just talking about an amazing story, and I hope you run to go buy that book and find out all about the, the letters that are taking place with Lori and the man who killed her, her father. And just like she said at the beginning, where your story really does matter. And our next guest, Joel Peabody, he is doing exactly that. We're just talking about the power of a story and what an important role it plays in intersecting um, our, our paths and having this, uh, this journey and this impact of when we allow God to be part of our story. And Joel, I'm just going to go ahead and say welcome, and I, I'm going to have you tell your story in just introducing everything that's taking place with your new um, uh, ministry that you and your brother are putting together. So welcome to the show, Joel. Great. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got on this this journey here in creating Intersect and um, everything that you're doing in in London and over in Europe. Uh, just amazing, exciting stuff, and we want to hear a little bit more about it. So you, you hit it, Joel. Tell your story. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So great. We are, as you said, we are located in London, England, I work for an organization called Awaken Movement, and the goal over here is to work with people between, between the ages of 18 to mid-30s, just kind of this, this lost generation that we've found of, of people in their 20s and 30s who don't interact with 
their faith. Um, the Christian faith is kind of shrinking. Churches are getting smaller. And, and we've really tried to figure out why is that. And, and a lot of the things that we've realized is that, that the more postmodern the culture becomes, like it is over here in England and in Europe, the more plurality there is. So meaning that, that everybody is, is right, everybody's ideas are valid, everybody's stories are, are true, and we thought we could really make a resource that talks about those same things, which is, which is about stories, about truth, and, and really have discussions over those, but without kind of the Christianese, um, language that we like to use a lot in the churches or or kind of just over-spiritualizing things, we thought we'd make a resource that has five videos that interact over different themes that are true to all walks of life and all faiths because, again, we're trying to avoid some of that Christian dialogue. But um, we thought that people telling their stories and interacting over them is actually really a good way to talk in the postmodern com- context because people will listen. And I think that stories mean a lot. And people have the tendency to say, well, that's great for you, but this is what I believe. And it just opens up a dialogue. And and what we really want to do once that dialogue is open is then point people to what the Bible says and to how God intersects that story. And so that's why we call it intersect, because it's, it's our story and God's story. And we want to show you that they can merge and that really your story does have a place within God's greater story. Mm. Well, it's interesting, Joel. Um, I, when I was over in in Europe uh, a little while ago, I you get the feeling, and this is just a naive comment on on my part, that they're highly intellectual, <laughs> and yeah. they want they want to like full, you know get into this whole philosophy and just you know the the theological aspects of. So um, I think it's interesting and really cool that you're using the story now from just using the personal stories. Do you find that then they want to get into? Uh, in going deeper and wanting to move to the intellectual side, or what? What has been your, you know, history here? The background on that. Yeah, that's a good question. So we 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 have interactions with people, and it, you're right. It's of all different levels. Some people know their history. They have difficulty with Christianity or just religion in general because of some of the things that have happened in the past, um, for example, the, the Crusades or just some of the things going on in the Middle East right now. And they're very aware of those things. And so it makes them very skeptical mm-hmm. of religion. And because they kind of know those things, because they, they kind of been influenced by some of that idea of, of pain or, or bad things that have come from organized religion in the past, it, it kind of turns them off to the whole idea. Um, one of the One of the big resources that was created in England, but it's used all over the world, is called the Alpha Course, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. But the Alpha Course um, starts with some assumptions that that the Bible is true, that there is there is a God, that Jesus was his son, and it kind of explores those topics. And I know that, that that's been a very powerful resource, but really, if somebody is going to even question whether or not God is real or God even exists, it's hard to start conversations like that. Um, and so really, the goal of it all is that, is that it doesn't take any preconceptions. It doesn't talk about Christianity as much as it talks about following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And really, we're trying to just say that, that we're real people who are on a faith journey um, through Jesus, 
and and as we follow him, we understand that there's baggage, there's problems, there's hypocrisy, but really we want to overcome that and say that, okay, well, it's more about a personal relationship that we have with God, not about building this giant organization, which I think that Western Europe is really skeptical of. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, especially over in, in Europe, they've seen what religion has done. And, you know, you have so many in empty cathedrals over there that as a testimony that, okay, religion really doesn't work and didn't work. And like you said, the history and you got the crusades and you got so much that's kind of ingrained and they're almost like, well, why do we need that? It doesn't work and it produces guilt, if anything. And yet it really isn't about, I think we want to, we're so quick to want to convert people. Mm. And none of us wants to be converted, but it really is simply about Jesus. And like you said, the, all of, you know, our faith journey into the heart of Jesus. And where is Jesus' heart in all of this? And that's such a great distinction. It's like, I'm not trying to make you like me. We're all on a journey to become like Jesus. And how can we do that? Do you find, um, just given all of that scenario, there's just a lot of apathy. Um, are you having to fight against that where people are like, why do I want to do that? And even my story is fine. And I mean, how, do, how, how are you seeing that? Yeah, that's a really good point. Apathy is, I think, one of the biggest detractions from the Christian faith or from maybe even religion in general. It's, it's this, this young people's 20s, 30s, they're, they're, they're on this journey wherever they are. And I think um, apathy plays a big part into it. I think because the churches, as you say, are, are, are small or they're empty or they're shrinking, that if you were to just walk into the neighborhood one, like uh, maybe one that's just right across the road from me, I would find that there's an average age of 65 and older. And, and so I think young people don't identify with that. They say, well, that's just something maybe I'll do when I'm older. Or that's something my grandparents do. And so... We've, we've said, okay, well then, are there places where young people like to go and congregate? And we found out that it's in the pubs and the coffee shops. But we also found out they don't talk about a lot except for football, sports, um, fashion, things like that. And so we kind of think that apathy does play a big part into it as far as the deeper meaning. So they just maybe don't care or they don't want to talk about it or they just don't think it really matters. They want to live their lives right now. And... And it's kind of a sad thing when you think that, that it plays such a big role in eternity to know that, that your friendships might just completely based on which team you support. And you might not even know that your friend is struggling with this or that and that there's, there's things in real life. And that's another thing we wanted to show in the videos is that the people who tell their stories, their true testimonies, they're all usually going through or have been through some sort of struggle that – they've needed to then look outside themselves and beyond themselves to find the answer. Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting when you're saying, you know, just to, to look at the struggles and relate to that and go, all right, I, I need to um, get beyond that. I was just sharing with a, a gentleman that uh, he grew up in the Muslim culture and he said, uh, he's been, you know, coming to, to church where Lisa and I uh, attend and Lisa's husband is the senior pastor there. And he he made a comment that, you know, you guys keep talking about the, the struggles are being broken. And he said, I don't I don't feel broken. 
I, I love my life. And I, I just thought, okay, that's, that's interesting. Cause so many times we do, we're trying to meet them in this place of, you know, life is so painful, you know, type, um, common denominator. And how are we reaching the ones that I don't feel broken? And I, I, I don't know how that would feel because I've always been a, a you know a believer when I was a child, eight years old. So I just thought that was an interesting comment that he made. But uh, I also wanted to ask him, we just have a couple of minutes, Joel, before we go into commercial. Are you doing this in one church? Are you starting there or are you already um, into quite a few churches in Europe? Are you trying to also bring it into America? What, what are you? What's your goal with Intersect? Yeah, so Intersect, has it was released originally here in, in the U.K. first over uh, was at the beginning of the summer, and then it was released a little bit later on in the U.S. And we're originally an American um, nonprofit, and we really felt called to London particularly just because of some of the issues that are going on. And... Um, my brother, Rob, who started the organization, he came from a mega church background in Dallas, and he kind of saw that some of that, he didn't really feel like it was meeting the gifts that God had given him and that he could be used for something a little bit different than the mega church model. And there's nothing wrong with the mega church model. We just felt that it was a chance to, to make a change and to see how we could do more hands-on relational ministry and Ultimately, that's what we're doing here in England. Um, we have some partner churches, but we like to see ourselves as a parachurch. So we're outside the church in that we can hopefully sell these resources into churches to use them. But ultimately, our ministry takes place in pubs and just trying to meet people, your average person, um, not your church-going person, not um, anything like that. And, and ultimately, we've, we've seen a lot of success with just building relationships and going to meet people where they're at. Um, the goal, I think, is that this, this resource could be used so that people could then take it to wherever they feel called. So whether it's a church small group or whether it's some people they play sports with on a weekend, that you can get into those little groups that you're already a part of usually outside the church, and then you can talk about these ideas. Well, Joel, that uh, we're going to take a quick break. This is – it's – we need these resources, and we need to be having conversations and going with people. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. 
For more information, go to stadia.cc. your spouse or mate have any habits that drive you crazy? Psychology Today magazine reports that it's often the pettiest of issues that can tear a couple apart. Now, I don't consider myself a microlipid. That's a person totally bothered by trifles. But I will admit my husband has a few habits I wish he didn't. But then, don't we all? I admit one of my most annoying habits is I tend to interrupt others while they're trying to speak. In fact, I'm so adroit. I even interrupt myself. What's a word for a person who constantly interrupts others in conversation? An embuggerist. I suppose if we never annoyed our spouses once in a while, the relationship might get boring. What's another word for a boring person? A whopstraw. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been talking with Joel Peabody, and he is sharing his ministry called Intersect, which is under the umbrella Awakening. And this is a ministry that is taking place in pubs, meeting people where they are at. And and Joel, you you said something that was really intriguing. And, and Lisa, you were talking about how we need resources like this. But just, you know, as you're out there and you're playing soccer or doing whatever and you're meeting people, just being able to grab that resource um, and share with them, hey, let's watch this video and we're just going to you know, talk about what, what you think about this. And it's just people's stories so they can relate to the stories that are taking place. And that's such a great idea. It's a fabulous concept because so many times... I know, you know, you're ready to jump out of your skin because you care so much about your friends. And if they're non-believers and you don't know how to start those conversations about Christ, it's great to be able to give them a book or give them, you know, a video, give them something so it can carry on a conversation. I know for me, when um, uh, all of a sudden my, my mind went blank on the... Lisa, what were the books? I, I was can't always... help you here. <laughs> <laughs> the books about the end times. And anyway. Left Behind? So, left Behind. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was always giving people the, the Left Behind books. And it was great conversations. And since then, I, I haven't really, you know, we had the shack and there, there are a few things. But that's great to be able to have hand them a video and start those difficult conversations with the people that we love and um, be able to share with them things that really matter in life. So Joel, tell us a little bit more about, do you, um, how do you help this ministry, you know, move forward? Because I like that you just, you're going into pubs and having these conversations. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's really, it It sounds almost too simple to, to make sense, but really, We've, we've thought about the whole church planning route and about different things like that, and I think it just, it, it's, it's less about maybe the organization of building Awaken and more about just personal initiative relationship with people. Um, we've had a couple of small groups 
and missional communities and things like that that we've tried to, to influence people to meet their friends. Because I guess ultimately if you have a small group in your church that each person in that small group has friends outside of that small group and outside of the church, and we thought it was a really strategic way to then grab them and say, okay, well, here's something that, like you said earlier, does all the it does the hard work for you. It, you can it's it's we've made the videos as good of quality as we could. They they're they're more like short film art pieces and and less less um you know like a, like a movie or something. They're more more artistic than that. We had a great arts director who worked on it, and then we created a um a study guide that goes along with it. So so basically the the videos can stand alone, but the study guide is where we really felt we could put that into people's hands and then they could ask the questions to the group. And and ultimately in the pubs, we were trying to then get into more meaningful conversations than just what normally comes up. And, and sometimes like, like you, like we've said throughout this whole interview, it's, it's hard to bring up those things, but ultimately that's where we have to be bold as Christians and say that we believe in this and we believe in Jesus and we believe he's changed our lives. So therefore it, we have to share that. And, and, and I know that, that you mentioned earlier about the, the whole crisis mentality. And, and I know what you mean exactly. We've got a lot of people who, who they don't have crisis. They, they, they or crises. They just say, mm. yeah, everything's great. Like, it's fine. I don't have to look out beyond myself. Um, and I think we can use that too as Christians and talk about how our lives are good and our lives, we have hope, and our hope is based in something more than ourselves. And, and ultimately, that's what we want to bring into the pubs. It's, it's, it's meaningful things, not just talking about what was on the television last night or what movie's out. And I think deep down, people do want to have those conversations. They they do want to just, you know, be able to go deeper than, than yeah, basically, I'm watching somebody else's life on television, and then... I'm talking about it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost comical sometimes because we're, we spend more time watching somebody else's life, you know, than realizing how do we live our own life with impact. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I think a lot of times we assume that, um, I, I don't know, this has been a thing for, you know, it's like I struggle. You assume that, oh, they don't want to hear. They don't want to have this conversation, they're going to, they're not going to engage. They're not going to respond. And we almost make the decision for them mm-hmm. instead of going, you know, this is an amazing way. I can just, it's just about having a conversation about something that means something to me and gives them permission to share. And if it's coming across in that way, instead of you're my project, I think, you know, if the authentic communication and relationship, your heart shows, and I think people are drawn to that. Mm. And instead of, shunning that but it's all it it goes to with our approach mm-hmm. you know absolutely and, yeah and so many times we're, we've expected them to come to us and to our familiar you know our church building our church environment instead of like what you're saying go where they're hanging go in the pubs go into the places where they're gathering and just join them in conversation where they're already comfortable don't make them uncomfortable and then have an uncomfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's one of the things we try to avoid in ministry and life in general over here is just to not be weird. You know what I mean? Like we feel like sometimes you can bring someone into, 
with a coffee shop or, or approaching someone in general is often a little bit awkward, but it, it is something that we need to, to work on. But you're right, like if we say, come meet us where we are at our church in our little small group with our house where every single person knows each other except for this one outsider. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be very daunting to somebody. It takes a very strong personality to be comfortable in those situations. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're right. I mean, it, 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 that's really a lot of the battle. It's, it's explaining to people how come our faith means so much to us and then sharing the good news because it's good, not because we just feel like it's something that we do on Sundays and, and Wednesday nights and, and part of our life, but really that, that we can't contain the joy that, that God has given us. Mm. And to be able to, like, you, you know, in sharing these stories, I think it helps people to go, oh, I see how they're sharing their story. I can do the same thing. I can share my story where it's not, like you said, weird, even though I, I do like weird. And I do want everybody to be like me. So <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Just kidding, Joel. Um, but- no, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to... Um, Go from those conversations of, did you see the game last night, to, hey, by the way, I love Jesus, and not make it weird, to be able to yeah. have that that transition, because uh, I, I think that's where whatever the enemy has made it, has turned it into, all of a sudden, it's this awkward conversation. And I, I love what you said, Joel, um, just about it, talking about it's a journey, and it's my you know spiritual journey rather than using the, the Christianese. And Joel, we just have just a few minutes until we um, end our show. Again, we want to say thank you for joining us and just enlightening us on what you're doing and and the resources that are available. And um, and then if you just share where people can find you, and we'll have information on our show on our website. But also want to ask you if, as you've been putting together these stories and um, listening to stories and using these stories, what have you learned and what has kind of stood out to you that? in this process of, of, uh, kind of attracting and, and putting together stories. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the stories, as we've talked about, they're all, all five of them are true stories and they're meaningful to me personally, because one of the guys in the story is, um, he's my age and without giving away too much of the video, because I want you to go purchase it yourself. Basically, the, the the film is around the idea that this this young man who's um, divorced by his second wedding anniversary, and he's 27 years old, and he he talks about how that happened. He talked about the expectation he had when he was getting married that that he was going to spend his life, the rest of his life, with this woman, and 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 there's some things that transpired that obviously ended the 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 marriage, but it's just heartbreaking to think that that something like that had such an impact on his life, but yet he, that's where he really says he found God. And that's where he really says his faith grew and the community that came around him in that time to help him pick up the pieces as a 28 year old with, with his marriage ending was really, he said, where he felt the most loved and the most community. And, And that just struck me because I've, I've not even been married two years, and I'm um, 28, so I'm just about his same age. And, and just kind of hearing that story, and it's inspiring. And, and it really makes you think 
of what kind of things do I value? And, and being in the same position that, that he was with being married and just saying, okay, well, how do I then value that and how do I look to it and, and understand that it is a gift and it's something that, that I can sometimes take for granted where other people don't. And I think that, or, or they can't take for, or they can't really appreciate it as well because of the way it ended and, and just the way that marriage and relationships and all that plays such a key role into the whole world's lives. I mean, divorce is a big issue. Um, marriage is, is an institution. And so I think that anybody can kind of connect with that, whether they're married or not, and look at marriage and say, okay, well then, how does God really intersect that? Because usually we just kind of believe in the fairy tale. I met this person, I fell in love, and I got married, and I lived till I died. But it doesn't always work out that way. And, and it really just struck me that that made me think again about some of the things I take for granted. And I think that's really how I've connected with, with the videos myself, is just hearing those stories and saying, wow, I mean, these are real people, real stories, and God is working. Mm. Well, and, and all that is just so powerful because stories do stick with us. And like you said, I'm not reading it as a fairy tale. This is a real person with a real story, with a real heart. And, um, and it challenges us to look at our own story, not to compare, but to go, where am I seeing God and how is God using my story? Because my story really is God's story. Mm-hmm. And when we start seeing our story in light of that, it really does change everything. And then you do want to talk about God and his story. So again, thank you so much, Joel, for joining our show. And we just challenge all of us to value our story and to look at our stories and see that they really do matter. And God is using us every day. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show to 